Welcome to episode four of the Analytically Speaking podcast. I'm Dwight Stoll, professor of chemistry at Gustavus Adolphus College and your podcast host. In this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Deidre Kabuter, professor working in the Department of Pharmaceutical and Pharmacological Sciences at the University of Leuven in Leuven, Belgium. Professor Kabuter is an expert in dynamics of liquid chromatography and an editor for the Journal of Chromatography A. And I'm so pleased that she is here with me today. I, invite, I invited Deidre to mainly talk about her work on dynamic aspects of LC separations and her emerging work on the use of artificial intelligence and method development, but we'll have a chance to talk about things, other things in the field more broadly as well. Deidre, thanks for joining me today for episode four of the Analytically Speaking podcast, which is the second episode in this series focused on separation science. Thanks, Dwight, and thanks a lot for inviting me here. Sounds great. So before we get into talking about your science, I want to get into a little more of your background, uh, especially for listeners unfamiliar with your CV. So let me touch on a few things there. You did your bachelor's study in bioengineering at the University of Antwerp, and then completed a master's degree in bioengineering at the Free University of Brussels, also known as the VUB. From there, you moved on to work with Professor Gertesmet for your PhD at the VUB, followed by short stays as a postdoctoral researcher, both at the VUB in 2009 and 10, and then at Stellenbosch University in South Africa in 2010 and 11. From there, you started the position you now hold at the University of Leuven, where you were promoted to professor in, in 2020. I also wanna highlight a few of your awards and professional activities related to the field of separation science. In the awards category, I'll mention just two, but two that are very well known in our community. You received LCGC's Emerging Leader Award in 2017 and the Jubilee Medal given out by the Chromatographic Society of the UK in 2020. In terms of other uh, notable professional activities, you've been serving as an editor for the Journal of Chromatography since 2018, and you have been heavily involved in the International Symposium on Hyphenated Techniques in Chromatography, better known as the HTC Conference, for which you were uh, for for which you recently served as conference chair of the meeting this past May in Ghent. So, did I get all of that right? <laughs> Sounds about right. Yes. Okay. Thanks. Sounds great. Thanks. Uh, so before, uh, one last thing before moving on, I just want to say on a personal note that I've really appreciated your work for some time. Our, our PhD study years overlapped a bit. Uh, just as I was finishing around 2007, you were kind of in the middle of, of your work. And uh, in those years, your, your work on kinetic plots was obviously very relevant to, to a lot of our work at that time. And so given uh, the overlap in our sort of career timelines, it was really fun to me, uh, for me to work with you and, and Garrett recently on a few papers related to peak broadening. And uh, perhaps we'll touch on those activities a little bit here in the minutes to follow. So on to, on to science. Uh, during the pandemic, I listened to many science podcasts as I, I think a lot of us did. And uh, I've always been intrigued to hear about early career defining events of, of different people. And so um, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, if there were specific events in your past that you point to, that you can point to that really increased your uh, interest in science in general? No, I think I was very undecided about what I was gonna do later in life until quite some, some uh, later stage, if I can call it that. And so I, I decided I wanted to do something in science and then more specifically the bioengineering studies. 
in the uh, year before the final year in high school. So when I was 16 or 17, something like that. And the reason is that we got uh, in our biology courses, we got all this input on uh, genetics. And there were also a lot of companies in, in Belgium, in Flanders, that were becoming very active in, in yeah, more the biotechnology um, uh, things. And so that, that sounded very appealing to me. So I, I, I really got interested in all of that uh, around that age, I, I think uh, 16, 17, something like that. Okay. Yeah, I think it's, uh, for me, I, I think it's really common to hear people say, well, it was these one or two particular things. And I think, you know, as, as educators, as, as you and I both are, it's, it's uh, difficult to predict, you know, what those really impactful events are going to be for students. And so it's, I think it's always, I always kind of have to be on the, on the lookout for those things. And it's always interesting to hear people's stories. Um, so I, I did my bachelor work in biology as well, by the way. So I guess we both found our way to separation science somehow. So, so then what about separation science specifically? What, um, what sort of turned your interest or, or really got your attention in, in separations in particular? Yeah, that, that's really Gert. Yeah? So it's uh, okay. very defined. Ooh, magic. So by the, yeah, by the time I was in my fourth year, so uh, the bachelor and the master combined is, is five years. I I had been taking so many courses on on all these things like yeah, the genetics and the the biotechnology and and virology and studying parasites and I I don't remember all these things. And and then because I was doing bioengineering, of course we also had more engineering oriented uh, subjects. And it was my fourth year that I got a course from um from Geert. um oh, i have to think now i remember the name in dutch but not directly in english um, i feel a bit taken on the spot here but uh, so no his course um and 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 he was so he was yeah teaching um more separation sciences oriented uh courses and and he was so enthusiastic and and just such a nice guy that I remember very well the first thing he said to us when we, we started these courses were like, okay, I'm, I'm your professor, but please don't call me professor. My name is Gert, eh? so just call me that. So he's really friendly, down to earth. He could really tell, yeah, you you know this, if you've seen his presentations at conferences, mm. you know how, how good of a presenter he is. And, and it just captured me. And I was like, okay, maybe it's not a bad thing to go a bit more in a different direction now, eh? if, apart from what I've done so far so he then also presented topics for master thesis and one of those topics was the shear driven chromatography that you might um, remember and and so i i asked him can i do my my master thesis with you and, and he said sure <laughs> and that's basically how it started i guess that's that's where my interest in uh, separation sciences was uh, fueled if i if i can say it like that okay so very nice. very clear one particular person to start uh -huh. with yeah <laughs> yeah okay great and so i think of your expertise uh as sort of centered on or focused on you know there's a sort of a theme or a thread that runs throughout your career on about dynamics of, of liquid chromatography so if you could just take a few minutes to explain to our listeners what 
what really continues to hold your interest in this area? I mean, you, you know, you're going on maybe 15 years of, of really looking into this deeply now and, and why you think it's uh, really important to the field that we continue studying these really fundamental issues. Uh, even though I would say it's usually, at least in the U.S., quite difficult to get funding for these these topics compared to some other things. Yeah. So the way I, I got into the field and was was really uh, during my PhD. So after my master, um, he told me that I could stay if I wanted to to do a PhD. And as you mentioned before, that was kind of the time when he started developing kinetic plots. Um, so he was looking for a PhD student to further uh, work on that and, and, and further um, elaborate it. And what kinetic plots are, maybe I can very quickly summarize. Uh, yes. it's, it's basically a combination of your, your plate heights with um, information on your permeability of your column. And so when you, you, you have plate height curves, you have Van Leemte curves, you look at band broadening. Um, but of course, there is another very important aspect in your column, which is the permeability, how much pressure you need to obtain a certain flow that is also very determining on the performance of your of your column. Like it's not just about how many plates can I get, but also what do I have to pay for that and how, how much time does it take me? And so that's where it all started. Eh? So getting into this more fundamental work. And, and I remember in the beginning we were constructing kinetic plots for different uh, types of columns, uh, different uh, ways of working with chromatography, because it's it's really an ideal tool. Um, you don't need to put in any information about your reference length as or your particle size. So if you're working with a monolith or with a particle-packed column, that information is not so crucial to, to define uh, correctly, but you can very nicely then see in which instances is a monolith maybe interesting or a particle-packed column. Uh, also to look at the effects of temperature, of high pressure. So all of all, all of that was very interesting to study with kinetic plots and also um, exposed me to all these different new developments in chromatography, if I can call them new. They were new for me. Eh? Maybe mm -hmm. I should say it like that. Um, and, and so we have been working on that ever since, maybe focusing a bit more on the, the band broadening aspect. Uh, um, using the general plate height model, but also looking at different ways of determining the different contributions in the general plate height model. How, how can we determine that? How can we assess these different contributions experimentally? Um, and we've been doing that for small molecules, reverse phase LC, that's where we started. But then we started also transitioning to other um, separation mechanisms. We have done work on uh, helic, um, also to different molecules. Um, and now we're also studying larger molecules. So it's just been a continuous theme, but we've also, every time we meet new people and they say, oh, we have this new stationary phase and we're interested to know why it's working like that or why it's working better than this. Ed, do you want to collaborate on that? I think we're always very happy to, to do that and, and grateful to, to be exposed to new developments in this way. And, and I think that's also, how we we've been um, building up our network. So we've we've done a lot of collaborations, eh, as you mentioned, also with you. So that's always very nice to expand a bit uh, like that. Okay, great. Yeah, it's a it's a nice summary of uh, 
uh, many years of, of work and like I said, sort of a continuing thread that, that really runs throughout it. So let's talk now more about your, some of your more current, uh, current work. So can you give us kind of an overview of, of the kinds of things uh, you're doing now? So certainly you mentioned um, some of the recent work with uh, so biomolecules. I know the, I, I found the paper on diffusion coefficients for, for proteins and other large molecules. Um, uh, really, really good, really, uh, really rich with great information. But um, maybe give us, like I said, more of a kind of an overview of, of the directions you're, you're getting into now. Yeah, sure. So um, it, my time with, with Gert was obviously very fundamental, very theoretical. Um, but since I started working at the University of Leuven, and as you already mentioned, I'm now in the department of um, pharmacy. So it's a bit of a different environment. It's also more application uh, driven, not um, per se. Yeah? So it's not that I cannot do fundamental work on the contrary, but of course you're in a different environment that, that uh, needs different uh, approaches. So I think what I've um, ventured into a bit more in recent years is that I'm dealing more with, more with um, complex samples. So, so we're, we're getting confronted with more complex samples. Um, pharmaceutical uh, molecules, but uh, one of my research topics is also oriented on the analysis of, amongst other pharmaceuticals in the environment. So we're working also on um, wastewater, uh, which contaminants are present in, in, in that. Um, I'm, I'm collaborating with a group that works on degradation processes. So for example, advanced oxidation processes to degrade those molecules, which then leads to a bunch of new molecules in that complex matrix. So the needs are a bit different. We still need efficiency, obviously. We still need to have, ideally, uh, to be able to separate a lot of compounds. And of course, one way to do that is to, to make sure that you get the most plates out of your column by, by, by kinetically optimizing it. But at some stage, we, we run into limits because there's, there's only so much peak capacity that you can get out of one column. And so to deal with that, I have, on the one hand, started also working a bit on um, multidimensional separation. So how can we add selectivity to the equation to broaden eh, the, the, the performance of, of the columns we, we are working with or to, to improve the separation of these complex mixtures? And there again, I think we try to do it a bit more from a fundamental point of view. Um, we developed an in-house solution to combine a helic and reversed phase um, using just one pump, one detector, and by doing some online um, dilution of the mobile phase using restriction capillaries. Uh, you, you know this work, obviously. Um, so that's been nice to, to study uh, how this, this hyphenation works, uh, how you can um, solve some solvent incompatibility. We're also extending this now to other combinations of um, stationary phases. And on the other hand, we also recently acquired a, a commercially available 2DLC system, as you know, not sure if it's allowed to say on the podcast what vendors we are working with. Um, and, and so we're using that still to study a bit uh, how can we optimize the system, what can we tweak, what can we change, but then also for applications as, such as uh, analysis of, of um, emerging compounds of interest in wastewaters, also degraded samples. Um, but we're also working on biological samples, 
um, yeah, whatever application collaboration that is interesting, uh, we, we always um, are happy to, to get relevant applications, of course, that we can study. Yeah? So that's been a bit of a new part in my research. Uh, and as you mentioned, then we're also working more on the, 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 the software part. If I can call the previous parts the hardware, then there's also the software. Because of course, um, it's not just about getting high efficiencies by doing kinetic optimization or combining stationary phases to, to, to open your, your separation window, but then you also want to be able to not just randomly throw together columns and stationary phases, but to get some, some kind of a logic in that. Um, and for that, we have been working for a few years on implementing machine learning for uh, decision-making in chromatography in method development. Um, I have one, not, I shouldn't say it like that, but I have, I started with one really, really brilliant PhD student who is now about to finish. Meanwhile, I got another PhD student who's very interested in the work, in this work, and, and, and I, we're, we're learning so much on this topic, so it's, it's very um, exciting to work on this. Um, we have studied, for example, reinforcement learning um, as a, a way to, to uh, select, for example, scouting runs to build retention models. Um, we have worked with uh, artificial neural networks with, for example, a convolutional neural network for automated peak detection. So we're trying to see a bit how we can use deep learning to at least automate some of the, the processes that you, you would uh, typically do in a meta development process. So that can be on the one hand, predicting separation, but on the other hand, also developing tools that you need for meta development, such as peak detection, uh, baseline correction, and, and these things. Okay, great. So uh, a couple of follow-up questions, uh, maybe talking about the AI one first. So, you know, when it comes to to cars these days, we hear about, yeah, okay, five years, maybe nobody will drive their car anymore or something like that. Um, what is your, uh, so, so what is your gut feeling about when it, when it comes to LC instrumentation? Do you think within five years, we see a lot of these, let's say AI know-how being actually deployed and as a part of method development and commercial solutions or sooner than that or is it going to take longer than that what do you think <laughs> well we are aiming to launch our commercial system on no no i'm joking <laughs> uh, I, of course it's, it's early days but but you do see a lot of um movement in the field i think yeah? the, the the implementation of machine learning in chromatography it's present eh? and and there are uh, other people also working on um implementing machine learning for meta development um, I think uh, you are also uh, the, you're also familiar with this type of work, um, and and it it makes sense. Eh? I mean, just think about meta development, what it is, and how we have been doing it, yeah. how we are still doing it. It's so often, even if we have great software available already, yeah, but we are still doing it's so often on a trial and error base, just yeah. like, I'll just, my gut feeling says I should, I'm just gonna, you know, shift the gradient a bit like this. But yeah, it, it's a bit crazy because it's, you know it too, if you start doing it by trial and error, it's a never ending endeavor almost. And you can just keep keep on tweaking. And and so it, it seems logic that you, you would 
develop or, or use the tools that, that take over this reasoning. And I think it's a perfect, um, a perfect example of, of where you can, can, um, can implement this sort of things for. So it, it will definitely uh, come up. I, I cannot predict if it's going to be, I hope it's not going to take so long, but you also know as when, whenever you start something new, it takes much longer than you wanted to. So, but I'm sure in a, in a couple of years we will already see much more development on that. And what I what is also quite nice is what I'm also seeing and what I'm also learning from my students is that, especially in this uh, machine learning community or, or software community or whatever, people are quite open to share their codes. And so it, it's it's all out there and open and people can use it and can then tell you like, oh, this didn't work for me or, or I'm gonna do it differently. So that's that's also something nice to, to um, experience and it's definitely gonna help further pushing the development, I think, that's, that it's more open and, and people are more free to, to use it and to work with. Okay. Yeah, of course, it's difficult to predict the future, but I think it's helpful to have, you know, just perspective from from people, you know, experts in an area like yourself who are, are sort of thinking about these things uh, every day, uh, just to have a sense for what you think. And yeah, I, I would definitely agree with you. I think this these days I find myself uh, talking with students and also writing some that we really need to start working smarter instead of just harder all the time because there's really a lot of lost opportunities, I think, when, we, when we're not thinking about how to take full advantage of you know, all the know-how we have. So I really agree on that point. Okay, so um, I'd like to shift gears a little bit then. And so each of, my, uh, the, each of the guests that I'm uh, interviewing for the podcast here, one of the things I'm, I'm asking everyone is, uh, about sort of the literature or reading resources, uh, what do you recommend? You know, I think it's the upside of having many high-quality journals and the and the ease of access to digital materials is great, of course. But one downside is nobody can read everything, and so I think part of the battle sometimes is just discovering what's good or finding out what's you know what's better than the rest, so to speak. So, so what kind of advice do you have there? What do you recommend to students? Uh, what, do you th what do you find to be particularly helpful as a resource? Yeah, very good question. Uh, well, what, what I recommend my students, especially the ones that, that start, for example, start a PhD, is there's a lot of articles out there, as you mentioned, a lot of journals. So it's so much, it's, it's very difficult to to pick something good. So I think it's very good or useful to have a, uh, one or two good handbooks. And so there are a few books that I, I have myself that I think are so important that uh, I think if you have a good handbook that already condenses the whole problem a lot. And because for example, the one that I, I have and, and I recommend to, to all my students is the book of Ewan Moya. I think there's so much information in that, so rich. Um, it's also accessible. Uh, so you have so many different aspects that are touched upon. Um, basics of chromatography, 
um, but also retention mechanisms. There's also sectional method developments. Um, so yeah, that's definitely depending on whatever they're going to do. I always select a few chapters there and tell them, okay, start reading this because then that gives you a very good good background. Um, yeah, so, so find a good handbook or, or ask your supervisor to recommend you a good handbook um, before starting to, to browse into the, the journals and the literatures, uh, literature. Um, um, of course, you do that later on eh, when you, you have a more specific uh, direction you want to go into. Yeah, okay. Great. Yeah, I have, uh, I think, two copies of, of Uwe's book. Um, it's called HPLC Columns, I think, right? That's the title. Yeah. So for, for listeners who maybe don't have that one, they can go to uh, their favorite bookseller and find it. But uh, I agree. That's uh, really a tremendous resource, as you said, really rich with uh, lots of really good information. Okay, so um, now I'd like to talk um, fairly briefly about a couple of other topics. So, so as I said in the intro, recently you helped organize the HCC meeting that was held in May. And I'm just interested to know, um, I've been to a couple meetings my, myself following the, let's say the height of the pandemic, but from an organizer's perspective, how, how do you think the meeting went uh, uh, after all that we've learned with, with COVID? What, what would you say are some of the highlights for you from that meeting? So you, you probably know that um, we originally uh, planned to organize it at the end of January, but because of oh, spiking COVID uh, in December, the government said, okay, no, eh? we're not going to do any meetings uh, at the moment. So we, we, we were forced to postpone it to May. Um, I think what I was very surprised by, but also very grateful for, and, and I mean, all of us as organizers was that everybody was extremely understanding. Um, almost everybody agreed to just move to the new date, both sponsors and participants. Um, so that was extremely uh, nice for us that, that everybody understood and, and they just came in May. Um, and and yeah, I think once we made a decision to, to do it in May and, and we went through with it. I think everything went pretty well. I was very happy afterwards. We, there were no major um, problems. Also, as far as I know, nobody got COVID at the conference, even That's though we, nice. we didn't have any masks or it was really open. So everybody was just um, mingling and, 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 and meeting again. Um, so we did have a few changes so we, we opened up a space outside so if people thought it was a bit too crowded they could also go out always go outside we also changed the venue so we changed to a location where there was uh, active ventilation it was also placed with extremely high ceilings so there was very little chance that the, the the circulation would would be not sufficient and that's maybe one of the reasons that we were so lucky with the um, with the the, the um, yeah COVID, uh, I, I don't think, as I said, that, that anyone got it. Um, so yeah, for me, it was very, very nice conference. I was also very, very happy to see everyone again, because as you know, I think in chromatography, the community is not so big. Everybody knows everybody. We're all always happy to see each other. Um, so that was very nice that a lot of people came and, and everybody saw each other again. Um, from a scientific point of view, Due to the changing location, we had to um, put everything in 
two parallel tra tracks instead of the three that we usually do. So we started a bit earlier, we did it a bit longer in the evening, um, but everybody that was uh, told that they could have a, a, a lecture, they got their lecture, so it all kind of worked out and nobody complained that it was too early or too late. So yeah, I was very happy with, with it overall and I, and I hope other people as well, that, that everybody who came had a good time, enjoyed the city, enjoyed the, the science part. Um, yeah, that, that's all what you can wish for as, a, as an organizer, I think. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's good. I think, uh, if anything, from the pandemic, one of the lessons we've learned is that we have to be flexible in lots of different ways. And this is a good example of that. But it's good to hear that it was um, uh, successful. And we'll certainly be uh, looking forward to uh, whatever the new normal is, I guess, with respect to meetings. Uh, what about uh, the future? Do you want to make a plug for the next uh, HTC? If I can, I yeah, of course. would very much like to. So we, we also already decided on uh, the next meeting, which will be in 2024. We will do it again in May because we uh, received a lot of positive feedback on how much nicer it is to do it in spring compared to, to winter. Um, so the new dates will be 28 until 31st of May 2024 but we will move to a new location. So instead of doing it in Ghent, we will meet in Leuven. So you will be able to visit uh, our university town if of course you, you want to come. Um, yeah, and I think it's a very nice town as well. So uh, we will try to um, do the same social entertainment, uh, the same scientific quality um, and, and, and good fun. So hopefully it will attract a lot of people to come Sounds great. Sounds lovely. Uh, so uh, one last topic, just a few quick questions about your experience as editor for Journal of Chromatography A. So um, as I said, you've been in this role for about four years now, I guess. So um, with that experience behind you, what would you say you find the most rewarding about that work? Um, well, I, I, I like it a lot, yeah, so I think it's, it's in all aspects, it's very nice to do. You, yeah, you get to see a lot of manuscripts, obviously, yeah, so you're kind of in, on the front line about new things popping up and, and uh, that you get into your hands, so that's, of course, very a very nice place to be in. Um, I also like the uh, interaction with the uh, authors, with the reviewers, so you you get to know people that maybe you knew from from name a or you read papers about this person and then of course in in this um in this situation sometimes you you have to interact uh, people tell you uh, yeah what they think or or ask you additional questions so it's it kind of you get to know people in a different way which is which is very nice of course um and also the interact interaction with the other editors is, is very nice. And so we have very regular meetings with all the editors of Journal of Chromatography A. Um, many of them are, are long-time heroes for me. So it's 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 very nice to to be able to to work with them. Absolutely. Okay, great. So then the other uh, trend that we see is towards more sharing of data. I know uh, from my own experience and in my group, we're trying to do more of that as well. What, what do you see happening in this regard? Uh, what, do you, what do you think the, the future holds in terms of people sharing more data? 
um, from from a science point of view, or, or as a scientist, I, I indeed see that there is a, a movement towards um, opening up your data. As I already mentioned, certainly when it comes to code, that seems to be something that is uh, quite easily shared. Uh, you, you also see it uh, in manuscripts sometimes at the, at the bottom of the manuscript that people are linking to their repositories, to their, for example, GitHub to, to, to share their codes. Um, and I think we will definitely also see a bigger movement in the future towards sharing just data in general, your 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 data in general. Um, at our university, for example, there is actually a platform in place to do that. So where people can upload data, um, maybe it in the future will, will also become an item that can be cited. Um, so people will also be encouraged to share their data. Of course, I'm not saying that you have to share all your data or people will share all their data, but always um, as, as much as they want. Eh? So if, if people are interested in their work, maybe they can contact an author and ask, um, hey, can you share this data for this purpose? So I do think we, we are going into a, a future that will be much more open um, about those, those raw data, if I can call it that. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah, I know, like I said, with, within my group, we're definitely looking at there's a variety of repos repositories out there and being able to cite them with DOIs and things like that. So I think uh, we're all sort of learning, learning about it together, but I think it's a, it's a really good development. It'd be a great development for the, for the community. Yep. Agreed. So with that, I think it's time to wrap up. Uh, Deirdre, thanks so much for joining me for the podcast today. I really appreciated hearing your perspective on, on a few things that we touched on, sort of continuing importance of, of studying dynamic aspects of LC and where things might go in the future with respect to method development and artificial intelligence, and, and then also your perspectives on, on publishing and, and uh, sharing data as we just talked about. Thanks a lot, Dwight. Thanks for having me. 